listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Good morning. We're glad you're here. And, uh, and I hope that, uh, that you have had a good week behind us and are looking forward to a good week ahead. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, based on what we learned last week, your week ahead is going to be, if you are a child of God, if you are by faith a follower of Jesus, if Jesus through his death and resurrection is the only answer for your sin, for your brokenness, and if by faith you have put all your eggs in his basket and you are counting on him and him alone, the second person of the Godhead, the crucified and risen Savior. If he's your Lord, I can tell you that the week ahead, while it may circumstantially be up or down, I promise you, you are going to face a powerful enemy. Last week, we discovered through Ephesians chapter 6, verses uh, 10, 11, and 12, that, that there is a powerful enemy in opposition to what God has done and is continuing to do in the life of the redeemed. Paul identified this enemy as none other than the devil. He is a qualified, a, 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 a strong enemy. He is well organized in his opposition to God's work through his people while we are waiting on the return of Jesus. He is well organized and well ready to meet you at every turn. Now, we talked about last week how that more than likely, most of the time, what we experience as difficulties in life are, are just the circumstances of a sinful world. And even when we wrestle with things that are sinful in our life, chances are great we're primarily wrestling with our own flesh. The desires that we still have resident within us that we have to say no to, putting those off and saying yes to the things that God has put on us in the righteousness of Jesus. So we're most of the time just wrestling with our own flesh and dealing with circumstances that are evident in a sinful world. But there is an enemy, and he is a tempter, and he is powerful, and he will come at you if your attempt is to walk with Jesus faithfully. Now, last week, we talked about the fact that he is way more powerful than you and I are. We are not even remotely, when it comes to just straight power what we have in and of ourselves, the angelic realm of which our enemy is a part, is far greater in power. But his power is nowhere compared to the power of the only God who is called the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, John Eldritch, and Kevin Clark. There's no one that matches his power because he is the only God. But Satan, our enemy, is far more powerful than we are. So we've got to have some help if we're going to face this far greater power. I know you Bucks fans feel like today you are a far greater power. But there's a lot of us who might would even call number 12 a child of Satan. Anyway, I'm not going there. Not going there. Love you, Tom. Hope you know Jesus. Far more powerful than we, but we need some help. And God says, I got you. I got what you need. And we went back to Ephesians 1, and we said, remember when he said that, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing? That means that God has prepared for it. I don't, I don't know why it's stacked this high, but this is where. I mean, so it's everything we need. To do and to be everything God has called us to, God's got prepared for every one of us all of the necessary resources to accomplish his work in us. Meaning there will never be a time when we'll be able to say, God, I, you know, I, you called me to this and, and, and you've, you've, you've told me that I commit, but I tried, but I just wasn't able. And he'll go, no, 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 it don't work that way because I got everything you need to accomplish everything that I'm going to call you to do and to be. And so 
we're kind of going back to that when we come to chapter number six. And, and Paul says, look, you've got a powerful enemy against you, but God has provided everything you need, and he's called it spiritual armor. We've got a spiritual enemy. I can't see him. I can't grab him by the neck. I wouldn't be able to hold on to him if I could. We've got a spiritual, powerful enemy that requires spiritual, powerful armor. And God says, when you put this armor on, you will be able not to charge against the enemy's forces, not to go, you know, like a Rambo against the, the forces of everyone in that nation and somehow come out a victor. No, you'll be able to take your stand in a defensive position and everything that he brings at you, but you remember it's not about us, everything he brings at us will be able to stand if we've put on the armor that God has provided. So today we're going to talk about the spiritual armor. But for your joy and excitement, we're only going to talk about three of the six pieces. We'll save the other three for next week. Let's jump in. Chapter number six of Ephesians. We're going to begin reading in verse number 13. Paul says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. What day is this evil day? Is this some day that's coming in the future when all the forces of evil are going to be lined up against all the forces of God? You know, maybe that was what it means, but probably what Paul is talking about is every day you roll out of bed and hear that satanic sound. And and, 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 and I just feel like in eternity that's probably going to be one of those hellish noises and, 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 and you just feel like you do. Every day you roll out of bed to his alarm is an evil day. You know why? Because in the world that we're living in, we've already read that he's the prince and the power of the... He is actively attempting to wreak havoc in what God has created. From the time the first two humans disobeyed God, Satan has, with all of his ability and all that he has at his disposal, has been wreaking havoc in this world that God has created. Although, don't think for one second that he has free reign over God's creation. God has to allow him, but he is, because of sin, allowing Satan to have a leading role in this world system. And every day you get out of bed, child of God, listen, is an evil day. Every day you get up is a day that the enemy would love to knock you off your feet, ruin the relationships that you have, and wipe out your testimony to those who are watching. He will meet you every day. He doesn't take a day off. Neither does your flesh, so you got that double whammy coming at you. So what day is he talking about? I think he's talking about today. In the evil days in which we live, if you'll take up, if you'll put on, if you'll make that decision to arm yourself with the benefits God has made available to you, you will be able to stand. You'll be successful against the enemy. I think about James chapter number 4, verse number 7. Susie, I think we've got that. Where James says it in a, he he says it much more briefly. He just says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And then James moves on. It's basically just do what God says, stand up against your enemy, and he'll have no choice but to run away because he that is in you, Paul tells us, is greater than he that is in the world. The enemy will find that he has no ground on which to stand because you've submitted to what God has said, you've put on his armor, and he's just going to flee from us. Paul gets into a little bit more detail. Verse number 14. Stand therefore, he says, having fashioned on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness 
and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, let's go back to this idea of stand because here it is again. And it's not a recommendation. It's not a, hey, if you think you might need to, or if you find yourselves overwhelmed, here's an opportunity for you. No, he says imperatively, stand. Are you a follower of Jesus or are you a child of God by faith alone in Jesus? If the answer to that is yes, you have no option of retreat. God is never going to say, all right, everybody, turn around. Let's, let's just give up this side for the day. We'll come at it harder tomorrow. It will never happen. God has already won the victory. He's just playing it out in our lives by his grace, through his strength, for his glory. He will always say to you, stand. But that's an imperative you've got to respond to. You can turn around and run. You can drop your armor and be ransacked by your enemy. You can surrender your ground, but you'll never do that under God's command. He says, decide to stand. What day do we do this? Every living day of your life, you have to hear him say, Mike, stand against your enemy, putting on the armor, and he will have to flee, you will stand firm. So he gives us six pieces of armor, and then the last one is a, it kind of ties them all together. We'll talk about that as a separate. But today we're going to look at the first three pieces of armor. We're going to look at a belt, a breastplate, and some shoes. What does he say? He says, first, stand having fashioned on the belt of truth. Now, the people in Paul's day would have very, been very familiar with the Roman army. Now, if I were to ask you to describe what a U.S. soldier would have on, you've seen so many of them on TV. You've seen them, you know, all in about. You've seen them in all different places. You would probably say that they have a helmet and a pack and maybe a, like a, a Kevlar vest. A lot of those guys have. Some of them have like the, the little headpiece in the ear so they can hear one another. They've all got like some form of combat boots and camouflage fatigue type clothing. And a lot of them have like a M16 looking rifle that they've got. It's on kind of like a little swift. It's real cool now because they can just kind of hold it like this, right? You would describe that. And you could do that not because you've done a lot of research on the military, but because you've seen them. You've seen them around. You might be related to someone who has been in that gear and you just know what it looks like. The same would have been true in Paul's day when it came to the Roman army. They sell those guys everywhere because everywhere they would be able to go, Rome had occupied. They had come in and they had taken over control. And so the Roman soldiers were everywhere. You couldn't turn around and not see some of those guys hanging out. Not only that, Paul, being under house arrest as he's writing this letter, is probably chained to a guy, or at least he's looking at a guy sitting at the door. Paul's probably come to a first-name basis with this soldier. We'll call him George. Probably not. But he's probably seen him. How you doing, George? I'm doing good, Mr. Paul. What are you doing today? Well, I'm writing some folks uh, that live in the city of Ephesus. Did you ever get there? No, I've never been there, but my regiment went one time. I was sick, didn't get to go, but I, I hope to get there. Okay, well, cool. I'm just writing some folks there talking about Jesus. And he's looking at, I'm just imagining, he's seen them, they understand them, and he goes, hmm, God's army's kind of like that. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God begins to communicate to those people in terms they would understand. But we don't see a lot of Roman soldiers in this day. So let me tell you about these pieces of armor. 
The belt that he is referring to is the first piece of armor that a Roman soldier would put on. They would have like a, an under tunic, if you will, like a, a poncho, if, if you understand what that is. It covered front and back. And they would take this belt. It was a, it was a, a belt or a girdle, if, if you'll allow me that. So it's not like the belt I'm wearing and, or the one you're wearing, but it's a thick piece of leather that they would put on. And on this thick piece of leather that they would tie around them would be a place that they could put their sword, the scabbard, where the sword would go. And there would also be some rings that were attached to the front and to the back where the breastplate would come over and it would attach to the belt, keeping it stable. On this girdle, this, this belt, would also be hanging long pieces of leather and they'd be kind of connected together so that they would hang over their, their, ab, their lower abdomen, the groin area, and then their thighs and it would protect them on the front. It's kind of like they were wearing a leather skirt. Probably not very fashionable in our day, but to that time it was very helpful because the leather would keep things from harming their middle part and their leg. It was the first thing they would put on because everything else was attached to it. And Paul says the spiritual armor of God begins with truth. Having your belt of truth. Now one writer that I was reading behind talked about two types of truth. There's objective truth and there's subjective truth. Subjective truth can, in our culture, often be the kind of truth you decide works best for you. Is that not the world we're living in right now? What is under fire of Christianity more than anything than truth? You see, what the world is trying to say is that truth is subjective. Truth is whatever you think works best for you. So would it not be fair to say that in our culture, everything is true? Well, if everything is true, and excuse me, all I've got is a Northeast Georgia mind of thought. If everything is true, then nothing is false. If nothing is false, then nothing is wrong. If nothing is wrong, don't get upset with me when I slap you across the face as we're going out the door this morning. But you know that's not right. Because deep down, you know there is truth. But the way truth works, there can only be one truth. Everything else has to be either in line with that truth or out of line. Paul says the first piece of armor that you've got to put on is objective truth. It's what we call doctrine. When we we are seeking truth and we come to realize that Jesus Christ is truth, and we come to recognize that God only speaks truth, truth and we go well how do we come to know what the the truth of Jesus the truth how do we know what that is well he's given us his word he's given us the bible 66 books a lot of them that don't make a whole lot of sense in isolation but when you begin to understand it in time and culture and its setting and the people it was written by until you start understanding these things you begin to go oh wait a minute I kind of see how this begins to work And then we begin to to fashion these things that God has said about himself, things that God has said about us, and we begin to tie these things together. It's called doctrine. Doctrine is very important. How many doctrines are important? All of them. So class, how many doctrines are important? All of them are important. But there are doctrines that are more essential than others. When it comes to this truth that you're putting on first and foremost, 
this is not going to be about the truth of how much water is needed in order for a believer to be baptized. That's not the truth that Paul is talking about. What he's talking about is the truth that there is one God and no others and that they are three persons in one God and that the second person of an eternal God put on flesh. How in the world did he do that? I don't know, neither do you. But he was born of a woman. He lived 33 years in which he sinned not one time and laid down his life as an innocent substitute for you and for me in your place and for your sin, was put into a grave, and on the third day was raised bodily, not as a spirit, but coming out flesh and blood, but changed and presented himself to those that he knew and others that did not know him, and then he ascended up into heaven, having given them some instructions to go tell everybody else about him. Those are some doctrines you better put on your belt when you get up every morning. Those essential truths that we have from God's Word, and it ain't got to do anything with what you think is best or what you think is better. It has to do with what God has said. Objective truth. That's why we talk about doctrine, and that's why it's important. And we even talk about doctrines that we disagree with. I would venture to believe that within this body, there are probably some non-essential doctrines that, that we disagree on. And, and you know what? That's okay. We get around. We talk about them. We look to God's Word. We pray. We encourage. We stop what's wrong. We do what's right, and we just decide not to argue. But when it comes to the essentials, that has to be what everything else hangs on. What does everything primarily hang on in our culture? Our emotions, our feelings, and the circumstances that are happening around us. That's what most of us hang everything in our life on. How we feel, our emotions about it, and the circumstances going on. And that dictates how we live our life. And I'm just telling you, feelings, emotions, and circumstances will get you wrecked by the enemy. But if you start with the fact that what God has said is going to be connecting every part of what I've got and rely on, then you're starting with the right thing. Not only objective truth, but there's subjective truth. You say, well, I thought you said subjective truth is wrong. No, no. The kind of subjective truth where you begin to deny that there is truth, that's wrong. The subjective truth I'm talking about is subjective to you. You see, a lot of folks think if I believe the right things, if I nod in agreement on the right things, then somehow God builds this tent over me of right things that protects me from the enemy. That's not how it works. You can say you believe the right things all you want. You can have all of the right answers, take the test, turn it in, get 100, get your gold star, everybody be happy and clap. But that's not going to protect you from the enemy. The subject of truth I'm talking about is when a believer who has heard the truth and has seen the truth embraces that truth and then begins to embody that truth. Meaning, I begin to order my life according to the truth. It doesn't matter what you believe if you're not living out what you believe. Men, let me give you an example. You might believe you love your wife. But if it's not working out in actions and, and attitudes, then I don't care what you believe. She don't believe you. Same way in the other direction. So when I put on truth, it's not just having the doctrinal statement rolled up, stamped, signed in my back pocket. No, it's doctrine embraced and then life ordered by truth. Truth is going to be what orders my decision. Truth is going to be what, what, what uh, decides how I'm going to be a father. Truth is going to be how I'm going to be an employee. Truth is going to decide what I'm going to do as a pastor. Truth has got to be number one. And God's provided it. He's got it right here. How do I put on this truth? Well, I got to get in it. I can't wear it. It's not going to happen if I just put it on. I got to get in it. I got to read it. I got to think about it. I got to talk about it. I got to try to understand it. I got to put it on. When truth is absent in our life, 
you have lies, deception, and hidden areas. Okay? You can believe the truth, and you can embrace the truth. But when you've allowed dishonesty into your life, then truth is not active. When, when lies are act, when deception is going on, when there are things in my life that are hidden that just me, and well, I guess God knows about it too, then truth has taken a back seat and all your armor is going to be clanging around you to no good. So what do you think the enemy's biggest scheme against truth is in your life? The temptation to fudge the truth, to bend it, to conceal it a little bit for a little while. I just want to hide it just just till I can get this thing fixed and then it won't be there no more. And what has the enemy effectively done? He's effectively nullified truth in your life. And everything else goes to clanging and banging, and you're left vulnerable. What's the first thing you need to put on? Truth. 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 How is your life girded by truth? Where are the lies? Where is the deception? And what are the hidden areas in your life? That needs to be addressed so that you can get your armor started effectively with truth. But there's another one. He says, not only having fastened on the belt of truth, but having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate, it was made of bronze. If you were more wealthy of a soldier, you could have a breastplate made of bronze. If you weren't that wealthy, you could have strips of wood that would have been overlaid in, uh, in leather that you could have attached together to kind of make this breastplate. Or it could have been, as the Roman soldiers advanced in their technology, it could have been a, 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 like a sweater of chain mail, those, those links of chain that were that were linked together and made kind of like a uh, like a metal sweater that could have been a part of the breastplate but it protected both the chest and the back and it protected it from the neck to the waist you didn't need to go beyond the waist because you had the girdle that would go from the waist down so this breastplate was attached to the belt on the front and the back, most likely attached to itself in the middle so that it was stable as you moved and as you moved in and, and fought and resisted, it wouldn't be flopping and flapping. This breastplate, most folks typically go to what Paul calls the breastplate. It's the breastplate of righteousness. Most folks go to the immediate of thinking, oh, I know what this is. This is Christ's righteousness given to me at conversion because we know that Christ takes our sin and he purchased our sin on the cross and then God imputes. It means he applies to my account the righteousness of Jesus so that when God looks at me, he doesn't see me as a broken sinner. He sees me as righteous in my standing because of what Christ has done for me. And that's a great thing to think, but I don't think that's what Paul is talking about. Here's why. Because that imputed righteousness does not automatically come out in your life. That righteous standing that you have is not always the reality of your life. And Paul's talking about reality. Paul's talking about taking up something and putting it on. Now, it's a lot easier to take up something that already belongs to you because you know it fits and you know it's going to be useful in your context. But this is something that you've got to apply. It's what we call personal holiness. Personal holiness is the righteousness of Christ that is displayed in your life and in my life in, when we are being obedient to God's Word. 
when we hear what God's Word says to do, you remember back when we were talking about how we were to walk in love and how we were to walk in wisdom and submission, husbands to wives, wives to husbands, and then children to parents and parents to children, employers to employees, and vice versa. You remember when we were talking about those things and you heard them and you nodded and you thought, oh man, I need to do those. Here's the question, are you? See, you know about them. You know what God has said to do. You've been told countless times that God's got everything you need to accomplish everything he's told you to do as a follower of his son. Here's the question. Are you pursuing the holiness and the righteousness that God has called us to? I come across a quote from John MacArthur. Now, John MacArthur's getting a lot of shade in the news. If y'all watch the news, he's out in California, Grace Community Church. Gavin Newsom's trying to tell them they can't worship. He's saying, you can't tell me what God has already told me to do. There's some in the middle right there. You know, maybe he's being a little bit more belligerent. Maybe Gavin Newsom's being a little bit less or a little bit more dictatorial. Bottom line is, John MacArthur's in the news a lot today. But this quote he gave, I felt, was very helpful. Here's what it says. Many, if not most, of the emotional and relational problems Christians experience are caused by the lack of personal holiness. Now, let me unpack that for you. Have any of you experienced any type of emotional conflict lately? Anybody experienced anything like that? Anybody experienced any kind of relational conflict here or there along the way i think what he said is true most of those things are not satan slinging arrows at us but it is caused by a lack of personal holiness in my life and in the life potentially of the one that i'm in conflict with but but let's unpack that If I'm pursuing the righteousness of Christ, can the the lack of pursuit of holiness in another knock me off of my path? The answer to that is absolutely not. You say, well, how can you say that? Look at the Son of God all the way from birth to death and tell me he was not constantly in conflict with people around him trying to knock him off the path that God Almighty had set him on. And what did he do? He took one step after another, hearing the jeering, the mocking, the spitting, the cursing, feeling the nails and the beating, and feeling the agony of the human emotions. And what did he do? By faith, He laid down his life and paid for your sin and mine. I think there's some truth that when we just punt on personal holiness, when we feel ourselves down where there's nothing I can do, so I'm just going to punt back to y'all, then we bring on ourselves this emotional and relational conflict. Now, If you're mad at me about that, going, well, I was in conflict and I was trying to follow Jesus, well, then probably you weren't trying to follow him as much as you think you were. Say that to me, because I'm in the same boat, conflicted, twisted up, and probably because of my lack of pursuit of personal holiness. Romans 6, 13 says, do not present your members as, or to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been bought from death to life, brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. <coughs> Here's the breastplate. It's mine. It's provided by Jesus. It's righteousness that I can walk in. But I got to decide to walk in that instead of what comes most naturally to me. 
I got to decide to put on what is going to protect and guide. And I pursue holiness. I can, I can walk. We're just not doing that. And we're being constantly defeated and upset by our enemy. Maybe it's, maybe it's my fault and other pastors who are preaching God's word. Maybe we've just gotten to a place where we don't want to make folks mad so we're not really saying, yeah, you need to do this. This is not just something that you need to, to, to share on social media or hashtag or, or post. This is something you need to do. And maybe it's my fault and others that are in, in, uh, in roles of leadership that aren't going to brothers and sisters when that's not happening and say, what's going on? Why are you living like this? Because holiness is not the pursuit and maybe it's your fault because i think that's as much as your responsibility as it is mine i'm telling you the enemy will wreck us if we're not pursuing personal holiness if we haven't already wrecked ourselves so he says put on righteousness so let me ask you how are you christian how are you right now actively pursuing holiness in your life where you have the choice between decisions that you know are not in line with God's word and the ones that you know are most likely more in line with what he wants? How are you right now saying no to this and yes to this? And the bigger question is, where are you just outright saying yes to those things that you know are not pleasing and edifying to the one who's made us new? Truth, get it on. Righteousness, you got to pursue it. You can't just have it. You got to wear it. But then, well, not lastly, but last for today. Peace. Verse number 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. For the Roman soldier, heavy sandals were used for shoes. The sole of the sandals were at least three-quarter inch thick, if not more. It was leather strips just applied together, together. I don't know if they glued, I don't know how they got them together, but it was very thick, as thick as they could get. And the sandal bottom was covered with these hobnails. They would push the nail through the sandal and apply a layer on top, and then coming out the bottom would be these nails or, or some types of pieces of metal. If you've ever played sports on a grass field, you know you have to have cleats or you'll slip and slide. So the Roman soldier would have cleated sandals. These sandals would be, would be tied with leather straps around the foot for security. And then it would go, these straps would go around the ankle and then halfway up the shin. During the wintertime, they would take pieces of, of fur and, and, and other types of cloth and they would wrap their legs and feet with them and then tie them up so that they wouldn't be so cold. These were like Little boots, if you will. They weren't like the sandals that, that the normal person was wearing. These shoes were needed for stability. Because if I'm slipping and falling, the breastplate, the girdle, the, 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 the leather skirt, not going to do me any good because I'm vulnerable on the ground. What is he referring to when he talks about the readiness that comes from this gospel of peace. Well, certainly the gospel in and of itself is a weapon, the likes or a defense, uh, a piece of, of defense equipment, the likes. There is no comparison when you consider what the good news of Jesus Christ is. But I think what Paul is referring to is the stability that we have when we recognize and stand on the peace that is ours through the gospel. Have you ever felt like that your actions and things that you've done has put you out of favor with God? Like, have you, thanks, Chad, I appreciate that. 
the rest of us feel that way too. When, when, you're, when you're not what you think you ought to be, when you're not what everybody else thinks you are, and then you're going, man, God has, he has turned his back on me, and he is not looking with favor toward me, and I know that I'm just out here on my own, by myself. He used to love me. Maybe he'll love me again. Do you realize that is a lie from the enemy? God will never turn his back on his redeemed. He turned his back on sin when Christ was paying for it on the cross. You've been robed with the righteousness of Jesus, and God will never turn his love against you. He'll never turn his favor from you. You might not be walking in sweet fellowship with him at different times because of the actions and the the things that you're choosing for your life, but he will never not love you to the maximum of his love for you. He will never turn his eyes away from you because you are his, you are in Christ, and you are uniquely connected to him through Jesus. You, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the favor of God in your life. And Paul says, the thing that's going to keep you upright and stable is putting on the peace that is yours through Jesus. Romans chapter number five, verse number one. Therefore, since we've been justified, declared righteous by faith, faith alone, we have what? Peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As long as our Lord Jesus Christ is alive and active, we have peace with God. Is anything going to happen to our Lord Jesus Christ? No, death could not even keep him. So as long as Christ is active, we are at peace with God. Verse number 10 and 11, chapter 5 of Romans. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled, made in right relationship, brought into right relationship with God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now received reconciliation. God has brought us into right relationship with him by faith in Jesus through his death and by his resurrection. Nothing can change that. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse number 31 of Romans 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? You you realize that, that if God is on our side, they're not frightened of us. They're frightened of him who's behind us. And we're just dug in in the place to stand. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he'll flee from the peace that is ours. Christian, one of the best things that you and I can do is settle it on the fact that if you know Christ as Savior, you are at peace. There's no condemnation. You are no longer under the hand of God's wrath. Under his discipline, if you need it, but never at his condemnation. You're at peace. Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I'm sure of this. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. If, if it's not creation, it's the creator, right? So that means everything that's not God, right? So nothing of all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christian, get your cleats on. Tie them up tight. Dig them into the ground that is currently being trampled on by our enemy. And don't you dare give an inch. Because who can come against you 
when your creator is for you. And don't you ever run because he's not ever going to tell you to. So let me ask you this. How stable and confident are you right now in your understanding of the gospel? How stable and confident are you in your understanding of the peace that you have with God through the gospel? Listen, if you're going to tell people about Jesus, you're going to have to tell them the good news, translated gospel. Make sure you tell it right. Make sure you tell them that the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus had nothing to do with what they brought to God or some kind of sympathy that they had from him as a result of how much they asked him and begged and pleaded. No, by God's grace, through his mercy on his enemy, the one who had turned his back and become the very thing that God cannot have connection to and that is sin in his love when you didn't deserve it and I didn't deserve it God gave himself the person of God the son so that you might be brought into right fellowship and when by faith not works not earning it not buying it not hoping real hard but when by simple faith you just submit and you receive Jesus, you are brought into the family. You are taken out of darkness. You are placed into light. You are are disrobed of your sin, and you are covered in the righteousness of Jesus, and you've been given everything you need to represent Jesus and represent him well while we wait on his return. But you got to put it on. I got to put it on, we got to lace them up, and we got to stand. Now, a couple weeks ago, boy, did it come a gully washer. I mean, we heard it. Boom, bang, pow. And we walked outside, and some of y'all went and got the cars for your, your brides, and that was so sweet. That was awesome. If I would have told you before church, sent out an email and said, congregation i listen god has t- <laughs> that's silly he wouldn't have told me but somehow i got information that it's going to rain cats and dogs when it comes out when it comes to to leave it and, and it's not going to stop you're not going to be able to it it's going to rain till 9 p.m so i would recommend that you bring your boots and uh, an umbrella or, or a rain jacket all things that we could talk about. And I could say, you know, your boots that were made with rubber and sealed on the inside and out, they'll keep your feet wet. And you would go, yeah, I got some of those. They look a little different. I, yeah, I got some. They keep my feet wet. I go, and I could tell you about an umbrella. You pop it up. Y'all want me to open it, don't you? And some of y'all go, don't you do it. Anyway, I'm not going. You know about the umbrella. It pops up and, you know, you walk under it, keeps the rain off. You're like, yeah, we got one somewhere. I don't know where it's at, but I know how it works. Good. And the rain jacket zips up, ties up, even got a little hoodie on it, and it keep your head dry, keep you out of the rain. You you don't have to tell me about those things. But if you knew for a fact that it was going to rain buckets and you had these things, but you left them at the house, What's going to happen when you walk outside? Al, I just can't get it by you, can I? You're going to get wet, and you're going to get, I mean, you're going to look like drowned rat wet. This is not about what you know about these things. It's what you do with them. You know about truth. But are you settled on truth? Is truth going to guide you forward? Truth is uncomfortable, y'all. Tr- truth will not garner you too many friends, and, it, and it'll aggravate you, and it'll make you mad because you're not getting to do what you want to do because truth says otherwise. Righteousness is tough. None of us want to live, ho- well, we want to live holy lives. We just don't want to put the work in that's needed to be obedient to what God's Word says. We don't like to wrestle with ourselves. We know about the gospel, but are we truly standing on the peace that is ours? If we don't put these things on, 
then we are vulnerable to the enemy. And he will wreck us, and there's no need for it. Because God said, you put the stuff on. I'm for you. You'll be able to stand. And you'll be able to represent my son for my glory, the building of his kingdom. Ain't that what you want to do? That's what I want to do. So how about together let's decide we're going to do that. Put God's word to practice. Do what he says. By faith, believing that what he says he meant. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your son. Father, I just, I know that your people here are wrestling with the same things that I've been wrestling with all week and preparing. We know truth. We agree with truth. We believe truth. But so often, truth is not what is guiding our life. We are not laying our life on truth and allowing it to decide for us direction, responses, and actions. Father, I pray that you will give us a passion for solid, accurate, as much as as much as humanly possible, sound doctrine. But it'll not just be a book on a shelf. It'll be a guiding to our life. Show us how we need to make that adjustment. Give us courage to do so. Father, help us to recognize that, yes, we have the righteousness of Jesus, and it's given to us by you. But we have to submit our members, our bodies, our minds, our mouths, hands, and feet. We've got to submit those to your control so that the actions of righteousness will be evident in our life. Help us, God, to recognize where righteousness is not being lived, where sin is active. Give us, the, give us the ability and the courage to confess it as sin. Make it right. And then submit ourselves to you with a passion to pursue holiness every day. And then God, give us the confidence and the peace that we have with you so that we might stand on that ground, never willing to turn our back, but to stand confidently in your power, in your presence, and in your promise. Give us courage that we might stand today because even today is an evil day. And Father, we look for the return of your son. We ask that you'll keep us faithful until then. Father, I pray for that one who may be here that's not yet surrendered his life totally, completely by faith alone in Jesus. God, may you burn in their heart that need. Draw them to yourself. Give them the willingness to confess Jesus and Jesus alone as the only Savior, the only Lord. Father, I pray that you'll guide us in our steps this coming week. You'll use us for your glory. We look forward to everything that's in store. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said. Hey, man.